Here we are, shattering the lines between dreams and reality. They're crumbling even now as we speak. I don't even know what that means, but I'm (laughs) starting to like this. (laughs) Our job is to help you win. The destination is I will be a disciple who can make disciples. We got to watch people see themselves as world changers. Hey, welcome to the first episode of the Disciples Made podcast. We are back from our 32nd trailer episode. It was so good. It was. It only took us 18 takes. So episode one, we are getting into this idea around the intentional disciple-making environment. So I'm Brian Johnson, joined by... Brian Phipps. And... Rob Wagner. Look how that flowed. It's like we're friends. All right, so this first episode, we are going to explore the first piece of the intentional disciple-making environment, which is outcome-focused. But before we get into that, Brian, why don't you take us into a little bit of the history behind what the intentional disciple-making environment is, why that's language that we use, and maybe just a brief kind of hit the mountain peaks of the different parts of it, and then we'll go deep into the first first part of outcome-focused. Sounds good. Well, I guess I should start by saying that all this is in existence because for 20 years I was dissatisfied with the results of my disciple-making efforts. I was convening groups. I had meaningful relationships. We had rich community. We all loved being together. We all loved taking notes about what God was doing in our lives, but none of us were categorically changing, and certainly no disciples were being made. And one of the definitions that I bring to disciple being made is that they make other disciples. And if they don't get to the point where they are partners with me instead of remaining dependent upon me, they won't have their own spiritual kids, so to speak. So I was very dissatisfied with the level of disciple making that I had made. So uh, when I got into a larger church and had the freedom to just live in my lane, disciple making role in a larger church, I basically took all the tools that I had gathered and I just shoved them on a shelf. And I said, I've got to start this thing over you know, keep doing the same thing and putting a little bit different lipstick on it or trying to paint it a different color. That just wasn't working anymore. And that's what I'd been doing. That's the definition of insanity. And so I basically chose to intentionally shelve what I thought I knew about disciple making. And I went back and asked the very basic question, God, how do you change people? How do you change people? How are people practically and literally changed? And that's where I started to do that theology deep dive, just who is God and how does he change people? And God the Father ordains our salvation, the Son accomplished our salvation, but it's the Spirit that applies our salvation. And Rob, you know exactly where I go with this. I do. There's basically two frameworks that Paul highlights in the epistles when it comes to the activity of the Spirit. One of them, of course, is through the Spirit. And that's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And it's that journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. And we all ache for that. There's this gap between who we are and who we want to be. And so often that gap, we find our most important relationships falling into that gap and getting broken. Or we find ourselves falling into behaviors where it's like, I'm in this rut and I'm not changing. And the Spirit came to bring permanent and lasting and continuing transformation in character. And then the other big area is the gifts of the Spirit. So we've been empowered by the very presence of God to join him in redeeming and restoring all things. And we actually have 
sure, natural gifts and abilities. We've got a certain personality. We've got certain interests and passions and so forth. But we also have these supernatural gifts from God, which is pretty mind-boggling. And so it's gifts of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit. And what you summarized it with was its simple little language of character and calling. Yeah, character times calling equals impact. And as you look at the scriptures, I mean, search it for yourself and help us fix this if we're kind of off base here. But we don't see really any other way that God tangibly, practically, and measurably changes his people. It's all wrapped up in one of those two buckets, character, like who we're becoming, and calling what we're doing in his name to make a difference down here. And we were created for those things at creation. So the intentional disciple-making environment then is an environment established to see that kind of transformation in our lives. You guys just hit this like massive 10-year, 15-year journey between the two of you in about two minutes. (laughs) It's like I'm sitting here between you going, whoa, that was a fast-forward overview of how you arrived at Disciples Making Disciples. You went through a theological history of... Uh, the God, the Father ordaining salvation and the Son accomplishing it, and then you went to character and calling. I feel like we need to slow down, pull back just a little bit, and, uh, and, and put a little bit more of the history in that for people that are exploring this idea for the first time or just want to feel a little bit more of it. So take me back just a little bit to just the theological work that you did. Like my assumption is not everybody spends the time going back into that. We hear this language of we need to make disciples, we need to make disciples, we need to make disciples. And for most of us, the paradigm is that's just somebody else following Jesus, but that's about as far as it goes. You went into a little bit of that theological framework. Can you, can you go a little bit more on that, what, how you arrived at that? Yeah, out of desperation, absolute desperation. I mean, I'm willing to admit that. I mean, I'm 52 years old now. I was about 42 at the time, and I had tried all the latest things. I had gone to all the conferences. I had tried all the different things of ways to recruit people and was highly dissatisfied with the results. So I had to go back and ask God, what What do you do to change people? What's that like? Another question I asked was, how how did I get here? Why do I care? Why do I have this passion or this burning sense of conviction or a sense of just compulsion by heaven to be about God's business? And why am I one of a few percentage of people that seem to carry that burden? Didn't he kind of create this in a way where everybody could play? Isn't it in an all skate instead of just a few pastors that are called to professionally do this kind of skate? And if so, then what do we need to do to get there? I would say that everybody listening to this podcast right now probably has the idea that all of their disciple-making environments are intentional. Nobody would say, I have an unintentional disciple-making environment, right? But then what is it that we're intentional about? And I think that disciple-making in our day and age lacks two very critical things. One, it lacks a definition that we can agree on. And it lacks any sense of motivation to want to be a part of it. And if you want to have a good definition for what a disciple is, it needs to be brief, it needs to be clear, and it needs to be compelling so it can be scalable. And this whole idea of character, I need to become somebody different. I need to become somebody new. I'm not satisfied with me. Certainly, other people aren't satisfied with me. And God of heaven says, I'll make you more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, and self-controlled. I kind of need that. So anyway, 
backed up. And I just said, that's ask God, what, what in the world do you want to do? And people, how do you measurably change people? You can measure the fruit of the Spirit. You can measure the gifts of the Spirit. And I just asked the question, well, then what do we do now in order to get those? You know, Brian, when you asked about kind of going back into Brian's story and then also going back into the biblical story, one of the things about character and calling is it's so deeply rooted in the primordial history of the biblical narrative. Like you're, you're all the way back to the creation account. And the first two commands, first is be fruitful, and then it's take dominion. And so the be fruitful, of course, Adam and Eve had to get, you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they had to, to know fruitful. one another. Right, right. They had to know one so, another. So what you're talking about there is intimacy, right? And then take dominion. Uh, that's where they're operating as co-creators. You know, and the Lord wanted the whole earth filled. That was the plan. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So a lot of theologians think actually, you know, Eden was this spot that was God's beginning point, And it was supposed to spread out over the entire globe, Right which now you fast forward to the new creation narrative, right? And Jesus, first time around, it's be fruitful, multiply. Now it's make disciples. So it's like have babies, but they're spiritual babies. And the goal is that they'll multiply and then take dominion. It is our command to go into all the earth and let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this isn't... uh, it's not like the latest, greatest idea. We're talking about like the deepest theological foundations for what it means to be a human, number one. And then secondly, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You know, character is that answer to the intimacy question. Like the more I'm growing in the character of Christ, the deeper community I'm living in. Those, yeah, they're inextricably woven together. And then calling is the answer to the power question. So if we're not living into those solutions then we're going to end up, like C.S. Lewis said, like children playing in a mud pile, a mud puddle, rather, when we could be going on a holiday at Disney World. Like, we'll just keep trying to get our intimacy and power needs met through fill-in-the-blank, porn, gluttony, like all the stuff that we do, going down the rabbit hole with Netflix for eight hours. I mean... Yeah, every consumable. Yeah, every consumable. So this really is answering the deepest questions that humanity is asking. Yeah. Am I lovable? Am I significant? Am I meaningful? You know, it reminds me of my absolute favorite verse. Jesus in John 10, 10 says, you know, the thief came to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Well, what then did this, the thief steal? Well, he stole life. When did he steal it? I think Jesus is referring back and providing commentary on what happened in that Garden of Eden when he kind of tricked mankind, tricked us as people out of intimacy and influence, caused us to settle for this this more perverse or self-serving way of trying to grab at intimacy and grab at power. Instead of intimacy and influence, we kind of surrender it to those. And Jesus is saying, no, let me, let me bring those back as part of this new creation narrative. As you develop character, you get intimacy. As you develop calling, you get influence. And it's not about you anymore. It's about God and it's about serving people. You become you so that you can be a part of the greater good. Our whole business, you know, our mission is to multiply disciples that make the world a better place. We're following the creation mandate in this process. That's intentional. Yeah. So I want to pull us back into this idea of 
We have intentional disciple-making environments. We don't want them to be incidental. We don't want them to be accidental. There is a purpose behind them, and there's certain pieces that create an intentional disciple-making environment. So we're super familiar with those, but walk through those kind of, you know, again, we're just going to hit the peaks here, and then we're going to dive into this piece of outcome-focused. That sounds good. Yeah, we'll hit them all, starting with the outcomes. We just gave you the outcomes, their character and calling. And we call it outcome focused because we want all of our intentional disciple making environments to be on those two things. How do we keep the focus on character and calling? We'll come back to that, but we're outcome focused. We're also habit fueled, Rob. Talk about that. Yeah. What you practice becomes permanent. And that's even been proven by neuroscience at this point. Like you're actually creating new neural pathways as you begin to take your attention and focus your attention and intention into a new set of behaviors. And Jesus built his life around habits and rhythms and patterns. And the early church continued in those habits and those patterns. And they've um, mostly become known as spiritual disciplines. And people like Richard Foster and Dallas Willard have kind of reawakened the church in the West to the importance of these, how important these practices are. But they're not an end in and of themselves. You know, these are ways that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in transformation and character and calling. I like to think of it as spiritual habits are a way to throw up a sail and catch the wind of the Spirit. It's like tuning in a radio to pick up the frequency of the Spirit. It's, you know, you're getting in the current and now you have an oar to cooperate, to keep moving faster. And so we teach people how to practice these habits, not in a moralistic way, where I'm trying to prove something to God or to myself, but I'm doing it in a very relational way to learn how to abide and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in deeper ways. Yeah, we'll come back to hitting the habit-fueled idea in another episode. Outcome-focused, habit-fueled, content-flavored. Why is, why is it content-flavored? Well, a couple of things here. Right now, in most American disciple-making environments, it's content-focused. We're saying no, that we're outcome-focused. Who are we becoming? The question that a lot of people ask is, what are we studying? So we can tell right there that this thing is content focused. What will you be studying? What will you be learning about? What will you try to be making application to? We believe that different people are at different places along the spiritual journey. Some are just starting to check Jesus out. Some are starting to develop those habits and rhythms. They're kind of more of in a development phase. Others have grown to the part where they're making other disciples. They're influencing others. And each one of those people needs different type of content in order to catalyze them into those multiple phases. So we don't minimize the value or the importance of content. We don't believe it can be the focus. It's a tool to get to the end. I know the, some of the language you've used before that's really helpful is we want to dethrone content. It's no longer the king. It's not that it's not important. It's just not going to be the king anymore. Yeah, Jesus says in one place, you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth is critical, but freedom is the point. So we're outcome-focused, habit-fueled, content-flavored. The other thing I like to think about that content-flavored is, you know, our faith has a fractal. It has like a core DNA, and it's the gospel. And if you had to summarize the gospel in three words, it's Jesus is Lord. And that will flavor everything that we do. It's not about 
uh, we've all been in churchianity a long time and you know like one week the book everyone's talking about is crazy love and then next week it's bob goff and you know love you know and then it's you know uh rob bell and his book and then and, and people kind of run back and forth with all this kind of like a buzz over this message and a buzz over that message and frank peretti yeah i mean you can go <laughs> bringing it back and for us it's like we're just gonna build everything on the gospel yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly. gonna hold right yeah. Indeed. So, yeah, on to the next one. Yeah, the, well, there's two more pieces. So. Community. Community Forged. That is about imitating Jesus in the way he ordered his relational world. And Jesus, first of all, had a divine relationship with his father, where he found his identity and his destiny. Then he had Peter, James, and John. And that was what you could call a transparent space. Like, he was basically naked and vulnerable with those guys. Then there was the 12, and that's like a meaningful team kind of relationship, a family kind of relationship. Then you go up to the 72. That's more like a tribe relationship, a social space. And then there were the crowds. And Jesus organized his world like a series of concentric circles. If you think of the outer ring as crowds, then you go in a ring, it's a 72, and then the 12, and then the 3, and then the 1, and it's like a Russian nesting doll. They all rest inside of each other. And that is so countercultural to the way we live in America. And if we're going to experience transformation in community, we need all five of those relational spaces. And we actually need them nested inside of each other. So in Community Forged, we look at how over time people can reorder their relational world in the same pattern of Jesus. And the more we do that, the more powerful that community is in changing us and supporting us and helping us become who God's called us to be. Awesome. So we've got outcome-focused, habit-fueled, content-flavored, community-forged. The last one is mission-fixated. What's this all about? Why are we transformed into character and calling? Why do we develop these habits to get those outcomes? Why do we do that? It's to bring the shalom of Jesus back to the entire planet, to join Jesus in his mission of making all things new bringing beauty where there's brokenness, bringing peace where there's discord, bringing harmony where there's, where there's brokenness in relationships, of bringing human thriving back to the planet. And the stories that we could talk about, and we will as we bring guests on and talk about how these intentional disciple-making environments have changed their lives, you'll see how they're reaching out into areas of pockets of brokenness in our communities, in our inner cities, around the world in many different ways, just bringing that life back and it is beautiful to watch we talk we just we just painted a like an impossible picture how in the world you do all that sounds like the sounds like the book of acts to me (laughs) well i don't think you can say it's an impossible picture because you have definitely multiplied these hand over fist through these last uh through this last decade and other people in other places have done the same thing and so you have uh, I don't know the best word to put here, like the synthesis of these ingredients to create environments where people, like you said, come alive. They discover why they were made. They discover to whom they've been sent. And as people discover that, I mean, I'm just got chills thinking about the stories that I've heard, the people I know, the actual environments that I've led with people in this as they have experienced more of that fully alive life. You know, like they discover their passions, they discover their story, they're waking up to it, and their day is more full. There is a purpose behind what they do. So 
we did cover all five ingredients there. We're going deeper into these in the coming weeks, but let's make a quick shift and talk about outcome focused. Why, again, that's so important, how you focused on this with that first group, how it's been proven time again to hold that up. How do you hold outcome focused as the king when we probably often want to slip back to the content? It's a big, big question. One, you ever heard that statement in marketing? You have to tell people something seven times before they'll ever hear it the first time. What'd you say? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> let me do it six more times so that you can start to hear it. I actually think that number is quite low. You only hear it after, after seven times if you want to hear it. Right. Otherwise, it's just peripheral noise that just never, ever lands. To be a person that wants to keep outcomes as the focus, you have to beat that drum over and 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 over. We found a skip. Can you can you skip a podcast? I mean, the podcasts actually skip. But really, I remember just sounding, listening to that thing. Get it in there seven times, seven times seven. You know, seventy times seven. Get it in there over and over until it finally became part of the language. And we actually do have to. This dethronement of content being king is not going to happen easily. You have to have an absolute personal conviction that the focus must be the outcomes before you'll ever get it going. We can give you tactics of how to engage in, in, you know, engage that in these intentional disciple making environments. But unless you have that absolute conviction, unless you become the heralder of that message, it's not going to stick at all. Yeah. One of the simple ways that we accomplish that is through uh, this practice that Brian Phipps has called habit to outcomes. So in those communities, you're practicing habits, but we always chain the habits to outcomes. H2O. H2O. How is this habit helping me to partner with the Holy Spirit in transformation and character and in calling? And H2O is at the center of every single huddle. Every time we gather, it's about discussing the habit to outcomes. So there's creative ways to do that redundancy where it's not just people feeling like you're preaching at them again and again. It's really driven around personal discovery and conversation around these key ideas like habit to outcome. Brian, why don't you give us maybe a couple of the habits to outcomes, things that, you know, people hear in this language, maybe for the first time, what's a habit to an outcome? How do you link those things? Just a couple of examples to kind of ground that idea. The outcome of character. How does that happen? Well, that happens, you develop character in the lab of life. You don't read the book of Romans or you don't read, uh, you know, Ephesians or I'm sorry, Galatians 5 about the fruit of the spirit and do a study on it and develop the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit happens in the lab of life. You know, when am I more loving or joyful or peaceful or patient? If you want to pray for patience, go stand in a line at Walmart, you know, and, and that's where you'll learn to do patience. And so one of the habits that leads to developing character that I find most helpful is Bible engagement. Reading scripture, allowing the Spirit of God to use his scripture, his written word, to teach you something about your own life in real time. So for one time, you know, my, my daughter, uh, who's a big part of helping Disciples Made actually record and produce this podcast one time, you know, she and I are much like, a much, much, much alike, and 
we had uh, an escalation one night and uh, we both said things that we uh, regret saying and we woke up the next morning and there's that beautiful little verse that I've preached on about a zillion different times. So it's a uh, general answer turns away wrath. And that but just happened to be your Bible reading that day. That was my Bible reading the very next morning. And so in Bible engagement, we don't just read the scripture and check it off the box. We, we ask two very specific and intentional questions. There's that word intentional again. Jesus, what are you teaching me today? And what do you want me to do with what you've taught me? Well, clearly he taught me that I was a schmuck the night before, you know, and I didn't need a, a big lesson on that. I really didn't want to be reminded of it. But I asked the question, what do you want me to do about it? And there was a two-part answer. Uh, part one was go and apologize to your daughter without telling her how she was wrong, too. <laughs> but then the second one was invite her at any time you ever start to escalate again to quote this verse back to you. And one of the things I love to share is the result of that. I did that the next day, and I actually did it in accountability and with other guys. And they, they, so they saw me write that journal, and then they asked me about it, and we talked through it. But uh, the beauty is that we've never escalated. Hannah and I have not escalated since, and that's been about five or six years. It's because that was so categorical uh, of, a, of a transition there. Yeah, so you mentioned the two habits of Bible engagement and accountability. Mm-hmm. And prayer would be a third yeah. that I bathed that whole yeah. process in. And the outcome well, is like this character is growing in you. Yeah. There's I, peace, I think patience, it's important, though, to self-control. highlight. Like, a lot of people are engaging the Bible um, and it's just more content. But the habit, again, with Bible engagement is I write an I believe statement first. So what is it that I'm, I need to move from unbelief to belief in Jesus in, according to his word? And then there's an I will statement. And this is all done in this online app. So my three and my 12 can see my journal entries. So now they're praying for me. They're asking me about it. They're supporting me. And Jesus said so clearly that we're supposed to teach disciples to obey. And that's what they're practicing now. Now that habit is leading to an outcome of transformation because there's this cool fusion of like prayer and accountability and obedience. and, uh, And it's all woven together in this environment that becomes like a greenhouse. So you wanted to be reminded to come back to how do you leverage this within the group environment? Also... Why don't you just follow straight in with the assessments and how people are kind of measuring that as they go? Yeah, let me go back. I'm assuming that there's people listening on the podcast who just heard that one statement and says, I'd love for God to speak into my life like that and to help me change like that. Well, the way we talk about H2O, the H2O itself, as far as a mechanism within our intentional disciple-making environments, is a is a intentional question that you deal with every time you gather together as a group that helps you develop those habits to that point. There's multiple habits that lead to the two outcomes of character and calling that that we try to develop in our intentional disciple-making environments, and no one starts these things a master of them. Everybody starts as a trainee, right? And so the H2O is a section of who's winning with Bible engagement? Who's struggling with this? How can the people that are winning share with those who are struggling so that everybody over this intentional disciple-making journey end up as a much higher level practitioner of these habits in order to accomplish those outcomes? And one of the things I love about that, when you have that kind of play going between the entire group, not just the leader talking about developing these habits, but everybody sharing, here's where I'm struggling, here's where I'm winning, is you start to foster an interdependence amongst disciples 
instead of a dependence upon the leader. People are much more open. You get much more quality and quantity of a multitude of counselors helping invest into these people's lives growing, and they just radically grow. And we actually say, have that H2O conversation at the beginning of your group time together. Oftentimes, let it go for a majority of the group time. Our recommended group times are about 90 minutes, and we encourage you to spend about 30 minutes just on those conversations. So they're new. They're new every week. And so you, you asked another question. What was it again? The assessments. How, does, how do we use assessments to help people gauge, am I growing? Am I moving? Is my character increasing? Is my awareness of calling increasing? Gotcha. I got to give you one piece before I can go to the assessments. It's a piece that I just failed to consider until now. We actually help reinforce the outcomes of character and calling by starting our intentional disciple-making environments with an information huddle that asks for a major commitment. We never invite people into an intentional disciple-making group. We invite them to an information huddle to consider the requirements of the group and then make a decision. And they make that decision by actually signing a covenant that they are absolutely committed and they're being called during this time to accomplish those particular outcomes. So it starts with a high-level commitment. It's maintained and sustained by that regular H2O conversation. But then it's measured. If we can't measure our outcomes, they're not really outcomes. And then they're measured by periodic uh, evaluations. And so we have these assessments, you know, multiple times throughout the course of our IDEs where people actually rate themselves. It's all subjective, but they ask for peer feedback. They get peer, peer feedback from the folks in their triads. We actually subgroup these. Uh, when Rob was talking about community fours, we have the one, the three. So they do it themselves, but they also kind of submit those results to the three that they're closest to and the people in their lives that they're closest to, their spouse or their kids or whatnot, in order to see, am I really growing in character and calling? So we really do. When we say outcome focused, we are radically outcome focused. Yeah. I don't know that, um, that I, I definitely didn't grow up in a paradigm that was asking me to ask people around me, am I growing in peace and patience? Uh, that's a shift that just those asking those questions and, and determining I want to move in this way in the spirit radically shifts something inside. So just in a last piece here, let's talk quickly about how can churches right now small groups, groups wherever they are, people that are saying, I want to make a shift to moving intentionally in this. I want to see multiplication. How can they make that transition to outcome focus? We could talk a little bit about the underground too and just some ways that we use uh, discovery groups, but specifically uh, with the IDE, how can, how can small groups, churches begin to make that kind of move? I think the question they have to start with first is what is our definition of a disciple? Uh, because the IDE is designed around a definition for a disciple. And for us, we've decided to summarize that journey with this simple equation, character times calling equals impact. In other words, a disciple is a person who apprentices their life to Jesus, and they're going to experience transformation in character and calling and help others do the same, you know, make other disciples. Now, there's more than one way to skin that cat. Sure. You know, there's other ways to describe being a disciple. Uh, our buddy, Corey in the underground, it's a disciple is a person who hears Jesus and obeys. I love that definition, you know. Uh, but I think each congregation needs to do the work to say, okay, what do we think a disciple is? 
and what are the core theological convictions? And then how do we come up with a definition that's simple, but still robust? Right. You know, it's understandable. It's repeatable. Like for us, it's literally down to three words, character times calling equals impact. You know, you can explain it to a 10-year-old. But actually, as we demonstrated earlier, there's a really robust theological foundation underneath it, you know? So you can dive as deep as you want to go. So I think that's job one, because a lot of churches, you know, if you don't begin with the end in mind, if you don't really have an idea what a disciple is, what happens is you run around and you just label everything discipleship. Yeah, how do you move to an outcome if you're not really sure what you're moving towards? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I think that's an important step in the journey. Without a doubt. And you are welcome to steal character times calling yeah. equals impact. Right it's on. not like we created it. It's just uh, some language that became to us. But you can take any type of environment and turn it into an outcome-focused environment by just simply doing this. You know, Once you've got that definition, let's say you use character and calling are our outcomes. Every six months, just ask the question in your group, your volunteer team, whatever it is that you do, uh, how do you want to be different in character in six months from now? How do you want to be different in your sense of calling? And the way we define calling, we'll get into it in a later episode, but it's, I understand what my top two gifts are and I'm using them in my area of passion to make a difference. That's our, that's our, what we call our masterpiece mission. That's what God's uniquely designed us to do. That's our Ephesians 2.10 calling the works he prepared for us long ago. And of course, that's just a part of our general calling to make disciples, to make disciples, to carry out the Great Commission. But we can ask those two questions. How do I want to be different in my character, and how do I want to, how do I want God, or how do I sense God's leading me to, uh, uptick my calling or my sense of calling and you just share that with the group and any group can designate once a month every week whatever it is even if it's just a few minutes each give an update on how that goal is coming and then just re-up that every six months every quarter every year whatever time span you want to use you can become outcome focused without any additional technology it just takes the commitment, as I said earlier, to make those the priority, integrate them into your conversation, give people permission to not get there yesterday, help each other accomplish those outcomes. And then I think you can simply then weave in habits to outcomes as the next thing. So if a person is saying, well, I need to be more patient with my kids, well, then you help them think through, okay, what's a habit that will help lead to that outcome? And they'll go, well, I guess I could start praying about it. Yep, that'd be a great place. There's probably some passages in the Bible I could study about. Yep, that'd be good. Read those. Do an I believe and I will. And, and then they begin to realize, oh, this is all connected. You know, and so habit to outcome is also a really simple way mm-hmm. to help people begin to connect the dots between spiritual habits and transformation. Yeah, that's true. Another thing that's just kind of jumping in my mind, too, if you're a church with small groups, community groups, life groups, whatever it is you call them, just even taking a a 30-minute session with all of your leaders and just inviting them to integrate this idea. Hey, every time you wrap up uh, a a small group experience, just invite people to say, what was it that you heard tonight that you really want to remember that God is asking you to, to integrate into the way that you live and give them 30 seconds, 90 seconds, write that down. And every week your small group gets back together, just say, did you do it? Yeah. Just go, that go one. Back to your I will statement. That's right. That one simple shift, you can begin to seed this DNA of outcome focused into the current rhythms that you already have. So 
just little practical things like that can help people shift. Awesome, Brian. Well, you jumped onto this podcast with perhaps an outcome in mind. And uh, we kind of want to ask you, what is, what's the outcome you want to see in your own life out of this? It would be kind of silly for us to just talk and not invite you to consider how God wants you to be different, more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, self-controlled. Those are important. Those aren't dismissible measurements. I think that's the fruit that Jesus is really looking for. And uh, every time I think of Jesus going into Jerusalem and not finding the figs on the fig tree and what he did to that tree when he couldn't find the fruit, I think that's a pretty significant encouragement for us to uh, be in pursuit of that. But the other thing is you came on here probably wondering how you could be a better practitioner. We see that or practitioner. We see that as you're uh, taking the next step in your calling. It's our hope that uh, this podcast might be a great resource for you long term. Rob mentioned that you could start to integrate habits into your current disciple-making environments. That's coming up in episode three. Our next episode, however, episode two, is going to be a person who has actually experienced some categorical change in both character and calling, hear their story, hear God's, how God's using them as an example. It's the stories that are going to fuel this thing. That's right. So we're looking forward to continuing the journey with you. Just would invite you back next week. And uh, even as we wrap up today, I just invite you, wherever you are, driving down the road, listening, just in your house, going for a jog, just stop. Take 30 seconds and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do about what I heard today? And make your I will statement. We hope that what you heard today was an encouragement to you or that it increased your curiosity in making disciples that make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our experiences or set up a coaching call, you can visit us at disciplesmade.com or email podcast at disciplesmade.com. Warning, the preceding podcast is filled with backwards masked subliminal messages. (laughs) Oh, we got one. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.